Yeah, good day. Let's pray. Father, we just ask for your uh, anointing over this service, and we just ask that um, that you will just do what you do. That you would save some and build some up. We just ask that the Spirit would work this morning in and through me and through each other. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, excuse me. If you've been uh, sitting near me this morning, you'll see that God's using my beautiful kids as a method of sanctification. And that's our topic. Um, Our topic is uh, sanctification. This is the fourth part of our Christianese series. Um, We've looked at regeneration, justification, adoption, and today is sanctification. So it's focusing on the bigger theological themes of the Bible, and these are important themes. We need to know them. They're actually the very words of the Bible. Now, sanctification is a process that all Christians go through. It's the process of being made more holy, more Christ-like. Sanctification is being made more like Christ. It's about our personal holiness, which means we're all at different stages. Now, technically, it means to be set apart from common use, to be set apart for God. And it also means to be set apart to be made holy, to be made holy. So we can say that um, to be sanctified means to be set apart for God, to be made holy. And it's a lifelong process of becoming uh, more like Christ in our actual lives, day to day. So today we're looking at it from Romans 6, 1 to 14. You could, you could look at it in, from many passages or, or the entire Bible, it's, it's everywhere. But today is Romans 6, 1 to 14. So just keep your Bibles open there and we'll get into it. So, in Romans so far, very generally, uh, Paul has proved that everyone's a sinner under the judgment of God. Everyone's hellbound because they've rejected God and chosen to worship other things. They fail to worship him. And that's the guts of Romans 1.18 to 3.20. But then from there onwards, um, in through to chapter 5, he's shown how God has made a way for people to be saved from that judgment and to have a restored relationship with God. He's shown our faith in Christ is the only way for this to occur. Faith in Christ is how this rejection of God is fixed and it's the sins and and the sins of people forgiven. He says in uh, Romans 5.20, Paul says in Romans 5.20, Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, Grace abounded all the more. Did you get that? Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. This little sentence would have got Paul in a bit of hot water. He would have copped a lot of flack for that in his time. And it's because he's saying, wherever there's sin, there's more grace to cover it. Wherever there's sin, there's more forgiveness to cover it. And it's that grace bit that would have got him in the hot water. Because Paul's saying, 
You can have forgiveness of sin just by faith in Christ. And this just doesn't compute with religious legalists. See, while Paul was preaching grace, the legalists would have been yelling out, Oi, hey, you can't preach grace. If you preach grace, everybody's going to go around sinning like mad. And then you've got the other people going, This is great, we're going to go around sinning like mad. Gregory Rasputin, a um, Russian monk, preached that salvation comes through repeated uh, experience of sin and repentance. And what he meant by that was those who sin more get to enjoy more of God's forgiving grace, even more than regular sinners. So basically, don't just be a normal sinner. Go and be the greatest sinner you can possibly be. That way you get to experience more of God's forgiving grace. Because the more, the more you sin, the more grace you get. But at the start of chapter 6, Paul shuts this kind of theology down. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. No way. Forget about it. That's not the gospel I'm preaching, Paul says. The gospel I'm preaching doesn't say that we can earn salvation and it doesn't say we can presume upon God's grace. The gospel I'm preaching says that we're fallen sinners destined for hell. We need to be made right with God. We need forgiveness of sin. And that can only come through faith in Jesus Christ. This brings us to the first point. There's no sanctification without justification. There's no sanctification without justification. Now you've got to get this, because for some people, this is eternity on the line. But many get it wrong. If you get it back to front, all it does is turn it into works-based theology. All it does is turn it into, I do good things to try and earn God's favour. I do the best I can so that God will accept me. If you get them the, way, the wrong way around, you'll think and believe things like nice people go to heaven just because they're nice, but they don't. So here's the point. There's no sanctification without justification. In other words, we have to be made right with God before we're made good. Think of it this way. If you want running water, you need to turn the tap on. If you want heat and light, you need to have a fire. Justification is the tap. Justification is the fire. And sanctification is the water that flows and the light that glows from it. See, justification must come first. You have to be made right with God before you're made good. This means that sanctification is not doing good things to be right with God. This means that sanctification is the good things that flow from being right with God. So we have to be made right before we're made good. Sanctification is the evidence and the overflow of that new life that comes from faith in Christ. 
So when Paul puts the question to us, should we keep on sinning that grace may abound, the answer is an emphatic no way. May it never be so. Because Jesus didn't leave his place of glory in heaven just so we can keep on living the same old life or worse. And this is the basic point of Romans 6. A genuine faith in Christ won't lead us to become more sinful, more rebellious, but, but the opposite is true. It should influence every part of our lives, how we think, how we speak, the things we do, in public and behind closed doors, on Sunday and throughout the week. So has coming to Christ influenced the way you're living today? Did it have any effect yesterday? Will it do anything tomorrow? So when you walk out here this morning, will people know you're different? Will they see the gospel on display? Now, to be sure, there's, you know, those things should happen. But there's the ideal and then there's reality. And the truth is that none of us live out uh, what we believe completely consistently. Our lives aren't perfect, perfectly lined up with our theology. We're not perfect and we won't be in this life. But at the same time, there's no excuse for sin in our lives either. Jesus came to release us from the bondage of sin, to remove the chains, to free you from its power. And he does that by giving you a brand new life. Justification is when you accept that new life, that new beginning. And sanctification is living it out. There's no sanctification without justification. You have to be made right before you're made good. Remember the old saying, might be too old, if you want a job done right, you've got to do it yourself. We'll have a listen to Ezekiel 36. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. In First Thessalonians 5, Paul prays, May the God of peace sanctify you completely. Also, Philippians 2.13, Paul says, For it is God who works in you. This brings us to the next point. Sanctification is God working in us. Sanctification is God working in us. So thankfully, he doesn't leave us alone. He knows that to get the job done, he's got he's to be working. We simply can't and won't grow in holiness without him. That's why he had to put his own spirit within us so that we can have the ability to trust and obey. This is how we're saved and sanctified. 
We're united to and fused together with Christ by God the Holy Spirit who lives in all believers. The Spirit of Christ himself lives in us to make us holy. It is God working in us. Paul uses an illustration in our, in, our, in our passage here. He uses baptism to illustrate this union that we have with Christ. His basic point is we've been united with Christ in his death and resurrection by trusting him. See, all the baptism talk here is pointing out the fact that we're joined to Christ, fused with, grown into, joined up with, Have a listen to the language that Paul uses. From verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So here's something you might not know about yourself. You died. You died. Your union with Christ is so tight, so real that when he died, you died. Listen again to the language. You have been baptised into his death. You were buried with him. You were united with him in death. You were crucified with him. And verse 7 points out the benefits of that death. For the one who died has been set free from sin. What an awesome thing. You died with Christ, therefore you died to sin. This is why Paul can say in verse 2, how can we who died to sin still live in it? We can't. We don't live in the realm of sin anymore. Union with Christ means the power of sin in his death and resurrection has been broken. Smashed. It's gone. Disintegrated. And because we're joined with him, sin's power over us has been broken. You're no longer a slave, a slave to sin. It's not your boss anymore. And just as he rose from death, we've been raised to new life too. The old you is dead, is buried, is gone. You are a new creation. You are new. Union with Christ means that it's impossible, once you're saved, to go living the exact same way you used to. Because God now lives in you. See, when a holy and pure, blameless, righteous, eternal and infinite God chooses to live inside a mortal sinner's body, there must be change. It's just like putting a brand new V8 engine into some rusty old bomb of a car. 
you know, may still look ugly on the outside, no offence, but gee, it runs well now. See, God lives in you in a real way. He's really working in you to make you more and more holy in your day-to-day life. It plays out in everything. It has to, it must. See, God lives in you. He's got a purpose and a plan for you. And you can trust 100% that he's going to bring the work that he started to a completion. He ain't going anywhere. No matter how far you fall, no matter what sin has pinned you down at the moment, he's a faithful, loving father who won't leave his kids. God lives in you and is working in you to make you holy. This is sanctification. This is sanctification. I think the uh, word holiness in today's culture is a bit of a sleeping pill. Holiness today is a bit like that receipt you kept. You know, the one that got shoved down the back of the drawer and when you find it, it's all scrunched up and so faded you've got no idea what it's talking about. It's a bit like that. But God takes personal holiness seriously. And so should we. God actually commands us to strive for and pursue it. We have a role to play. Hebrews 12.14 says, Strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. 1 Timothy 6 says, Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. This means we have an active role to play in our sanctification. We must strive for it as we cooperate uh, with God by submitting to him, submitting to his word and obeying, living it out. Think of it this way. We're like an old house that needs renovating. And we're going to team up with God to do it. But he's the one who supplies all we need for the job. And he's the boss. So all we have to do is to show up to work, follow his instructions, listen to his instructions and follow them. This is our third point. Sanctification takes effort. It takes effort. We have a role to play. And it starts in the mind. Romans 12 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This means we need truth. We need the Bible to tell us what is true of us. Sanctification begins with the renewal of our mind. We need to know and believe. We need to know and believe what is true of us in Christ who we are. And God says, you've died with Christ. It mightn't feel like it, but that's the truth. God says, you've died to sin. It mightn't feel like it, but that's the truth. God says, you've been set free from sin. It mightn't feel like it, but that's the truth. 
God says, you've been given new life. It mightn't feel like it, but that's the truth. God says you're alive to him in Christ Jesus. It mightn't feel like it, but that's the truth. God says you are no longer a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness, and that is true. See, because before you were saved, you had no option but to sin. You were a captive. You were trapped. You were a prisoner and a slave, just bound up. But now you have a new life. You're a servant of God. These things we need to know and believe so that our minds are renewed and then we can take action. And this is something we all need to do. This is where a lot of effort comes in. Don't run away, stay in your seat. All believers must wage war against sin. Because there's a real battle going on. If you're a Christian, you know it. It's that battle inside. John Owen once said, The choicest believers who are assuredly freed from the condemning power of sin ought yet to make it their business all their days to mortify, that is kill, the indwelling power of sin. What he says aligns with Colossians 3. Put to death, therefore, that uh, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, two, in these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Holiness stems from God. It's mentioned more than once in the Bible. Straight out, be holy because I am. That's the command to his people. And he doesn't leave us alone. He helps us there. Owen sums it up, sums it up this way, this effort thing. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Sometimes we feel trapped, eh? Well, at least I do. In Christ, we've got the power to say no to sin and the freedom to say yes to God. We have power and freedom. See, whatever sin you feel has trapped you at the moment, maybe it's anger, lust, greed, whatever it is, remember this. It's not your master. You don't have to obey it. And if you're losing hope, if you're on the brink of telling yourself that this sin has defeated you, if you believe this sin has you chained up in shackles, Have a look down at the shackles. Look closely. They're not even locked. 
You can take your hands out, you're free to go. Now that might take your entire life and heaps and heaps of effort. But defeat isn't an option. No Christian is defeated. In Christ, the victory is won. Satan, sin, death, so what? They've got nothing on us. You can and must begin to kill off sin or it will be killing you. Sin will wreck relationships. It'll strangle your faith. You'll be wondering if you're saved. You will doubt your salvation. You'll be expecting punishment from God and you'll start trying to do good things to make up for whatever it is you've done. You'll forget the gospel. You'll forget that Jesus was so willing to die for you. You'll forget that his blood has bought you forever. You'll forget that you're a new creation. Holy, blameless, pure, perfect in the sight of God. And you'll miss out on the joy it is to serve the one who saved you. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Sanctification takes effort. God commands us uh, quite bluntly from verse 12 of our passage today. Don't let sin reign. Don't obey its passions. Don't keep on presenting your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as instruments of righteousness. Sin is no joke. It's dead serious. It's why Jesus says things like, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away too. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. In other words, you know exactly what you're tempted by. You know where your weak points are. So don't let yourself get too close to it. Don't do the tango with sin, with temptation. In fact, don't, be, don't present yourself in any way to it. But remember, you have power and freedom now. You have the power to say no to sin and the freedom to say yes to God. There's always a choice. There's always an exit. But it takes effort to see it, to find it, and to use it. Probably even more to use it. I've, I've personally found 1 Corinthians 10.13 uh, is a bit of a choice dagger for killing sin. Right in the moment of temptation... This is what it says. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it or stand up under it. So when I'm tempted, I'll often pray something like this. Father, I am tempted right now. I'll confess that. I believe that I can turn away from it. 
I'm believing what he's saying. And I plead with him to show me the exit. I'm faced with this choice right now. Which way am I going to go? Left or right? Am I going to obey sin or God? Who's my master? But it's moments like these that take effort. They hurt, they're hard. And once again, it's this very real battle that's going on. You know it. Part of us, part of us wants to walk this part of this path and the other part wants to go that way. One of us wants to one of us one of us wants to go through this exit and one of us wants to walk straight into that sin and get our short term pleasure. You know, and God knows each of us personally. He knows our struggles. And part of sanctification is working through these with God. Working through these with God. But he doesn't promise that they'll all go away. He doesn't promise that all our troubles and trials will be gone in this life. But he does promise that when we're in the midst of them, he's right there with us. He's always there with us, in us, in fact, for the believer. See, he's working in us through the darkest moments of our life. And it's often there where we're going to grow in holiness. If you separate yourself from the world, there's no challenge, there's no tests. But that's where sanctification happens. When the rubber's hitting the road, when you're fighting with the family, when you're fighting with the friends, when people bug you and rub you up the wrong way, when your children bite you and all sorts of things like that, this is where sanctification, you know, starts hitting the road. It's where you've got to take action. Yeah, but just saying no to sin won't be real effective. Although we've died to sin, it still remains in us. And one of the best ways, I think, to kill sin is to drown it. Any remaining sin left in our hearts must be drowned out by filling our hearts and minds with so much Bible, there's no room for sin. We must fill our hearts with so much Christ, there's just no room. Just no room. Psalm 119 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This is the mindset of somebody who truly loves God. They want to obey and they want, they want to do what he tells them. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Ouch. But it's hard. It takes effort. It takes effort to pray. It takes effort to read. It takes effort to go to church and serve and to give and confess sin, be other-centered, and to do all that with the right attitude. But these are sanctifying things. They must be done for our good and God's glory. You see, the process of sanctification is getting us ready for heaven where we'll be perfected. Get used to heavenly life now. Practice sanctification. See, we've got to press on right now. 
cooperating with God, striving for holiness. It takes effort. And don't forget that even the little victories over sin are an act of worship and pleasing to God. We have victory over sin because we're united with Christ. And he promised it, verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you. Full stop. We've died to sin and lived to God. But even when we do fail, when we do stuff it, remember we're under grace. We're under grace. We're in a great position. There is no better. We're secure in Christ. And that is freeing. It's that stuff that frees us up to obey. Lovingly, willingly. So we need to keep going back to him. We need to keep going back to God. You know, it's a sad thing today that many people are fooled into thinking that um, being a Christian is a one-off event. An experience weeks or months or years and years ago. A ticket to heaven. But it's not. It just isn't. It's a daily dependence on Christ. It means coming to him continually for forgiveness and wisdom and rest and guidance and love and fulfillment and joy and comfort and peace and on and on and on. See, Jesus isn't so concerned whether you came to him 10 weeks or 10 days ago. He's concerned whether you're coming to him today. Because he's not only the door to heaven, but he's also the way. Jesus is the way. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for the work that you are doing in and through us in this world. Let's pray for my brothers and sisters here that, uh, you know, that you'll help us to, to battle against sin as we trust in you, as we're spirit-empowered, as we recall and renew our minds with the truth, even when it doesn't feel like it. God, give us deep roots. Help us to be like the tree planted near streams of water. Help us to flourish and bear fruit and see many others come to you. For our good, for their good and your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.